Welcome to the Hunt the West podcast, where it's all about getting outside, enjoying the outdoors, and creating epic adventures. At Hunt the West, my only goal is for you to get out and hunt. I'm your host, Skylar Harrison, and welcome to episode eight, bow hunting mule deer in open country. So if you listened to the last episode, you know that I was taking my bow to a rifle hunt that I've done for the last three years. This is my fourth year doing it. And this year I decided to do it with a bow because I wasn't successful on my last bow hunt and I had a goal of harvesting an animal with my bow this year. So I wanted to do that because this is my last opportunity. So I went into this hunt very optimistic because it was my fourth year hunting this area. It's a really small area and I knew it really well. And I was optimistic because there are tons of deer and I've been successful the last three years in a row. And well, you're just going to have to listen to the end to see how it turned out. So let me back up to the very beginning. I packed up my car the night before I was leaving and I hauled my stuff to work with me. And then I left work early and headed straight out to Wyoming. And I work in Salt Lake City and I was driving to Northern Wyoming, which is about an eight hour drive, eight and a half hours. So I rolled in about midnight and there were about three inches of snow on the ground and it was freezing. I think it was about 10 degrees, um, which was actually warmer than the last couple days had been. It was about negative three the night before I got there. So I rolled in after midnight, after driving for, you know, eight, eight and a half hours, rolled out my canvas cutter bedroll right on top of the snow and went to sleep. So the next morning, the day started out not real great. My phone was at 100% when I went to bed the night before, and it was at 75% when I woke up, even though it was on airplane mode all night. So I figured that the, the cold had just dropped it down. And But as soon as I got out of the canvas cutter and opened the thing up and my stuff was all inside and anyway I got my stuff together grabbed my phone and in just that time it was at one percent so I was like what the heck it was that cold like I think the cold just drained my battery down to one percent so I didn't really need my phone but um because I had the maps or the boundaries memorized and I didn't really need the maps and um because this is a special tag it was only valid on private land it's a reduced price doe fawn tag uh, for a non-resident hunter. So I was only allowed to hunt on this specific piece of private land that the landowners participate in this program called the walk-in program, and they allow um, access to the public on their private land. So they have special rules on there, and each little area is different. So anyway, I've been hunting this particular piece of private land for the last three years. This is my fourth year, so I didn't need the maps to understand the boundaries because I just already had them memorized. But I decided to pull out my portable charger anyway and charge up my phone so I could at least take pictures and stuff. So I walked into that area with my bow in hand and I went to this area that I call Porcupine Cove because I saw a porcupine there once and I know I'm really creative. Um, I was walking into that area and then I immediately saw a group of like six does running up the hill um, from where I was going into. And I was like, what the heck? How on earth did I spook them? They're like 200 yards away. And then I realized it was actually really windy and the wind was blowing right at them. So I thought it was fine because I was still a couple hundred yards away, but the wind was pretty strong. So I guess that's what it was. So I pulled out my binos. I'm looking at those as they're running away. And then I noticed that one of the deer kept looking backwards, like one of these last deer kept looking backwards. And so I figured that there was more deer behind them or at least one deer and so I 
zoomed up to where they were coming over the hill, even though my wind was still blowing in there. There was, there wasn't really any time. So I just went up right up to where they had just gone, hoping that whatever deer that was would fall in the same tracks. And it did, except it was only, it was a big four point buck. It was a pretty nice buck and he actually got within 30 yards of me. So I was pretty excited about that. You know, this is the first hour of the hunt. So I'm like even feeling more optimistic. I'm like, okay, if I can get to 30 yards away from this buck, then I should be able to make this happen with a doe. So at some point during that process, when I was running up and ducking in the sagebrush and stuff, the charging cable tip snapped off inside my phone. Um, I think it was just cold enough that it made the cable pretty brittle and it just snapped off somehow. And, and that was the only cable that I had that would charge my phone. So I was like, okay, well now what? That's just annoying. I just figured I'd just deal with it later. But anyway, um, it's not super pertinent to the story, but it happened. So I glassed down the hill toward this little ravine um, after I'd blown out Porcupine Cove. And I looked down the hill into this ravine where I know that these other, that these deer like to hang out. In this area, I've I've been there. I mean, I've only been there four times, but it's such a small area and there's so many deer that I could almost look into an area and just expect to find deer there because there's so many little pockets and I know where they like to hang out. So whenever one area didn't work out, I would just look into the next area and expect to see something there. And I pretty much found deer everywhere I looked which is really nice not having to worry about finding deer. It's just worrying about getting close to them. And that's why you can hunt does in this area is because there's just a lot of deer and then are trying to reduce the numbers. And the best way to do that is by harvesting does. So anyway, I glassed down this hill into this little ravine, this little ravine where I know that they like to hang out and I spotted another buck. But this one was just a little two point and I could tell he was on the trail of a doe because he was, you know, sniffing the ground and then looking ahead and as if he's looking toward a doe that he was following. He went behind this little hill and I used that opportunity to get closer because I just assumed that he was with does. You know, this is mid-November, they're just the peak of the rut for mule deer and the bucks are looking for does. So I figured based on his age and everything that he was probably just dogging this group of does probably and he was about 200 yards away um, but in such open country I knew he would have spotted me if I moved while he was looking so he went behind this little rise and as he was cross and as I was crossing this open area a doe popped out from the other side of the hill and she was just feeding but she caught me in a really bad spot because I was standing in this open area and I wasn't skyline, but there was really open area of grass and snow behind me. And I was probably just silhouetted against, silhouetted against that because of my dark outline and white snow behind me. So this is still like 200 yards away. So she's just seeing movement. She doesn't really know what it is. So we had this stare down for a while and luckily I had like my feet square at the shoulder width apart and so I was in a place where I could just stand there and not move pretty comfortably because it it always sucks when you get into when you get caught moving and you're in an unsustainable position because the deer is going to win that stare off every single time if you're not in a comfortable position but in this case I actually won the stare down and she went back to feeding 
but she was facing me the whole time. So I couldn't, I still couldn't move. And then she just bedded down right there. She's probably about 160 yards away. And there was also a fawn with her too, which was still on its feet. And it was also kind of facing me and was able to see me. So I still couldn't move. So I tried to move really, really slowly, but that doe caught my movement every time because now that she was stationary, she's laying down, she's bedded. It's a lot easier for her to catch movement. And I guess that's why she bedded down where she did because I've seen does do that in open country when they're at a safe distance from something that they're a little bit wary about. Um, they might be a little suspicious and then they bed down in an area that they can see it super well. Um, I haven't really seen them do that in thicker stuff or in summertime when there's a lot of undergrowth. Um, but anyway, she eventually had seen enough movement that she stood up. And this time when she stood up, I was not in a good standoff position and she buggered out of there down to the ravine and out the other side and out of the other side came eight more deer including that first buck that i had seen so i had blown this up another opportunity so they were blowing out and actually before i spotted that two point down in that ravine i had glassed up two different groups of deer on the other side of the canyon through this little saddle that i could see over so i knew that those deer were there even though i had dropped down below and they're out of sight at this point i followed that ravine down and around to go to the other side came up the other canyon and did this huge loop around to where I'd been seeing those deer hang out, uh, you know, in other places where I've seen them hang out every year. And it's a really good spot for them to hang out because there's a bench right below a really steep hill and then a cliff above them and then really open stuff below them. So um, it's a great place for them and it's really hard. It's really hard to get close to them because of the terrain. So the only way I was going to get all the way around the canyon and get close to them was go up on top of the ridge, pop over to the other side, and then come back down where they were. So luckily for me in this area, even though there's a lot of open terrain, where they were, I could use the top of that feature to keep out of sight. So my plan was go up to the top, cross over, and then drop down in the chute above where they had been hanging out. And the end of the property line was right on top of the ridge that I needed to walk above where the deer were. And there's a fence right on top, um, but there's Wyoming state land on the other side. So I'm able to hop that fence, walk on Wyoming state land. I just can't kill anything over there. So I jumped over that fence. So I'd be below the ridge line on the other side so they wouldn't see me. And then I ran into another property line and I had to jump back onto the private that I was allowed to hunt because I didn't have permission to get on that piece of private. And then um, there was some cover, but with some big boulders, but, um, and I couldn't see below to, to where the deer were below these boulders from this fence. So I wasn't worried about jumping back over on top of the ridge. So anyway, I jumped back over onto that private that I was allowed to hunt. And this is actually where Onyx Maps comes really in handy. And luckily my phone was charged up to a point where I could see that because if you see a fence, you have to know if that's land that you're allowed to be on. So in this case, I knew that I was allowed on this piece, but not on that piece. So I'm playing these borders and I actually turned on tracking because I was able to jump this fence. It was still Wyoming state land. And then about three or 400 yards into that fenced area, there was a private land. 
and no fence. So I turned on my tracking. So it leaves a little breadcrumb trail on your GPS. And um, I went up to that line and then I hopped back over to the fence onto the private. I hope that all makes sense, but <laughs> without seeing it a picture or anything. But anyway, there was a property line that did not have a fence on it. So having that tracking on, I knew if somebody happened to be watching me from far away and they were worried that I was on their land, then I could show them the tracking and be like, look, I never actually crossed onto your land if it ever became a problem. It didn't, but it's a handy tool to have because I know the the game wardens and stuff, they all use Onyx maps as, you know, to enforce the law. So anyway, so I jumped back over onto the private land I was allowed to be on, dropped down on that chute on the other side of the cliff where these deer were hanging out. And I was thinking to myself, this is the perfect stock. I had been checking, poking my head over the ridge to make sure that they were still there. They always were. And then dropped down to that little chute and no deer. And so I'm thinking to myself, what happened? I had just checked on them before I dropped down the chute. I have no idea what happened, what happened, but they must've spooked because I don't know what if I was crossing the fence or something, they heard like a squeak of the barbed wire or something. I know they didn't smell me because of the way the wind was, but I guess they could have heard it. I don't know, but it still baffles me. I don't know what happened. I got down there and they were gone and I could see them another 400 yards away down the other side of this little draw. So I have no idea what happened. And so that was a bust. And the, the where they were now, they were in a completely unstockable position. And this is when I started realizing that this bow hunting thing in open country um, is really, really hard. Because last year, when I, if you listen to the last episode, I stalked up to this doe um, within 15 yards of that doe. And I was like, oh, sweet, I'll just do that next year with my bow and it'll be all perfect. But it was actually a couple weeks earlier in the year. um, Last year I went like the first and second of November. I hadn't really thought about the two weeks different being anything significant. But I realized that earlier in the year was probably going to be a little bit easier because they weren't really in big, huge groups. So now that it was, you know, mid-November, I didn't realize how big of a difference it made to have a lot of sets of eyes (laughs) constantly watching you in this open country it made a big difference Um, that and there was a little bit less brush like there were fewer leaves on the trees because it was you know two weeks later in the year so there's fewer places to hide and anyway so I didn't want to bump that group of deer again because I knew that I couldn't really get close to them so I went back the way I came through Porcupine Cove and then you know, that's where I saw that four point at 30 yards. At this point, my knee started hurting really bad and going downhill was like excruciating. It hurts so bad. Um, so this hadn't really been a problem. So a little backstory, I was an idiot and I had decided I wanted to run a marathon in May of this year. And I pretty much jacked up my knees I you know I didn't train enough I didn't cross train basically at all and I built up to about 17 or 18 miles then I jumped from that to 26.2 which was a bad idea so anyway I kind of screwed up my knees and they haven't really been the same since May and when I went on my hunt earlier this year in the summer I didn't have much of a problem so I didn't think of any, anything of it but then all of a sudden it was flaring up which is not cool 
So I was actually limping down the hills, which is <laughs> limping downhill is actually pretty hard to do. And I just started making my way back to camp because I wanted to rest my knee and I wanted to be good to go in the morning. And plus I had basically looped through the entire area that I was allowed to hunt, except for where those deer were now, which were not stockable anyway. And so I decided to go back the way I came and um, go back to the car and rest my knee and then come back in the morning. So as I was making my way back, I came up on this small little hill and I guess I went a little too fast because I spotted ears poking up on the horizon on the next hill. And there were two does and two fawns looking right at me at 200 yards. So I knew they couldn't see my entire body because I could just barely see over this little saddle. But my head was skylined. And so they saw me come up over the hill and then they just busted out of there. And because, again, because I knew this area, I knew where they were going to go. And so I ran to cut them off. And it's amazing what your body will do, by the way, when it really counts, like when you really want something. Um, Because I was limping and then all of a sudden I started running to get to where those deer were going to be. So I got to this little point and then it had this little cliff below. And I knew that if if they went into the bottom, I could shoot down there because that was about 40 yards to the bottom. Um, And I went up on top of this little cliff and I ranged the hillside that they were crossing and it was like 88 yards. So I went down below the cliff real quick and I um, ranged the bottom of the ravine. It was about 40. And so I was hoping that they would come right down the ravine in the bottom. But then I got around that cliff and they were just gone. They gave me the slip. They must have, instead of going straight down, they must have flipped over onto the top. So I, I lost again. There were multiple opportunities. I mean, each one of these times I had these does at you know, 200, 100 really easy rifle shots. And I, you know, I counted them up as like about five different times. I could have filled my tag if I had a rifle. And anyway, so now my knee is even hurting more because I just ran on it. And, you know, there's still like snow and I'm slipping over the grass and stuff. And I'm kind of tweaking it every time I slip. And anyway, so I'm like not in a great mood. (laughs) I went back to camp and I, you know, I'd blown out every deer in the place and my knee was hurting and I was kept thinking to myself, bow hunting sucks. Like, I don't know if you've seen that hashtag on Instagram, but it's a thing. Bow hunting sucks. Um, because it does. And what is even more frustrating is that I just put this handicap on myself just to do it. I could have filled the freezer with my rifle already. I had an empty freezer at home. I I had eaten my last roast like the week before. So this was, and this is my last tag this year. So I went back to the car and I grabbed my rifle and I headed back up. Um, I rested my knee for like half an hour or so. And then I grabbed the rifle and I went back up the hill and back over to Porcupine Cove, hoping that deer would show up there again. But um, it actually required going down a hill and it started getting dark really early. Like the sun goes down at like 4:45, which is crazy. I was like had not been expecting that. But anyway, so that day was just a complete bust. So I ran up there with my rifle and then it got dark and then I just limped my way down to camp and I was defeated. And by the time I got to the car, it was only 5 p.m. and the sun doesn't come up until 7 and I'm all alone. So 
that's where the solo hunting thing is a huge bummer too. I don't mean to be like all negative about this hunt, but I'm just trying to give you give it to you real bow hunting mule deer alone in open country in november is not fun and i ended up going to bed at like six because there was just nothing to do so i you know slept like a baby only woke up when it started raining and snowing all night a couple times and i just zipped up the canvas cover the canvas cutter and went back to sleep anyway so that was actually a pretty good night of sleep and when i woke up the next morning i woke up and i actually had I felt some wetness in my sleeping bag down by my feet. Um, it had rained and snowed most of the night. Um, it was kind of slushy. Everything was dry except that little spot on my feet. And so I got out of the canvas cutter, realized that I was laying kind of crooked. So the pad wasn't in there straight. And the zipper flap that was covering up the zipper, um, it actually was folded up. And so the rest of the bedroll was acting like a giant funnel that led to the exposed zipper. And so water was just heading straight into the zipper. So I didn't check to make sure that it was straight or that the flap was down. And then I, w I honestly wasn't expecting it to rain, but then it snowed and rained all night. And so it was just beating off of the canvas and going straight into the zipper because I didn't put it on straight. So <laughs> even despite how much water was in there, I slept like a baby the whole night, like like 13 hours. I didn't even notice it until the morning. So anyway, so I felt better in the morning. My knee felt a little bit better. And so I was feeling optimistic. I grabbed my bow again and I went back up to Porcupine Cove because the wind was right this time. And I was hoping that the deer would be in the same spot in the morning, except the wind would be right this time. But this time there were no deer. So I started to drop into that ravine where the deer were the day before. And I started down the hill and my knees started killing me again. I just couldn't bring myself to walk down that hill. Um, it was a lot warmer this day. So it was probably in the mid 20s. And, um, but the sun was out and so the snow was melting on the south facing slopes. And so that made it really slushy and muddy and really easy to slip. I just couldn't bring myself to go down that hill again because my knee was hurting so bad. And I knew that if I slipped enough, um, like I might do some real damage. So I kept standing there and I'm like having this internal struggle of what do I do now? Um, and I was just so distraught. Like I just sit there and try and get myself and try and convince myself to go down, but I couldn't do it. And, and then I would spot a group of deer really far away and kind of forget about my knee. And then I'd make a plan to go over there. And then I'd take another step. And then I remember, oh yeah, my knee is busted. What I decided to do was just sit in a really good area in where I had seen a lot of tracks and where I know that deer come through pretty often and hope that a deer would come my way. But um, I realized that this was after I sat there for about an hour, I realized that this was kind of stupid because the country is so open that I could see a deer coming from, you know, quarter mile away. So I was really unhappy. I sat there and tried to convince myself that I could do it. And I decided to head back up to the top and see if any deer were within a reasonable distance of the top of that hill. And then, um, I would just tough that hike out. And then if I did see some deer that were in a reasonable distance, then I would grab the rifle and come back and shoot one. But the only deer that I saw were really far away and I didn't see any deer. So I packed up my stuff and decided to go home. 
and well actually I dried out my stuff the best I could because it was like full of water and I messed around with my phone trying to get it to charge before I could go home and then actually I loaded up the car and I was driving down and my car got stuck in the mud because you know there are three inches of snow the day before and then it just melted in like a day so now there was like three or four inches of mud and water puddles you know everywhere and I was actually nervous I was going to have to call for help, but um, I had brought a shovel with me. That's another tip if you're, especially if you're alone um, and you are in a Hyundai Tucson, <laughs> take a shovel. And I always take a shovel with me because um, it, it actually ended up helping me get out of this little rut. So I dug up some stuff and got some more traction. Anyway, I made it out um, without having to call for help. I had actually planned to stop at this other area this other area of private land that was actually closer to a road in just one last ditch effort to shoot one with a rifle. But after I got stuck there and like almost had to like wave somebody down or something on the road, I just decided I was done and I decided to call it. So I don't know. That's probably not the story that you wanted to hear, but there are some good lessons in this knowing. um, I mean, I'm obviously not an expert on hunting mule deer in open country but i did learn some really valuable things like specifically in open country you've got to be if you're hunting with a bow you've got to know where they're going to be and really ambushing is the best way cutting them off like those are the times that i actually had decent opportunities was knowing where they were going to be and then cutting them off so that takes time to understand the areas and common travel corridors and pinch points and saddles and stuff so that takes some time but stalking in that is is pretty near impossible at least that for me it was I don't I don't see how you could make it without any terrain features to hide in so that was another that was a a lesson that I learned that um, bow hunting is really hard is super hard in open country and just because you've been successful with a rifle in an area does not mean that you can do it with a bow in the same area and I learned that the hard way and so now I don't have any more big game tags this year and I am I already have an empty freezer so to add insult to injury my phone is actually broken I took it to the Apple store the next day and or after I got home and the charging port was like four of the pins in there just busted a couple of them are missing I don't know they looked in there with a the camera and they were just like yeah your charger is toast so I have to get a new phone and I didn't have any deer meat to bring it home with. I did get a cool video of that buck that came really close to me. It was a pretty nice buck. Um, I'll put that that um, I'll put that video up on the website in the show notes. So you can go to huntthewest.us/eight to see that video of that four point that I got to thirty yards with. Which actually, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna call this a win because I got really close to a deer with a bow. You know, it just so happens that when I have a doe tag, I get close to bucks. And when I have a buck tag, I get close to does. But we'll call it a win. Anyway, you can go see that video at huntthewest.us slash eight for episode eight. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, I do want to ask you all to make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. We got some we got some pretty cool interviews lined up that will be coming out. And um, we post new podcasts every Tuesday morning. 
So get subscribed so you don't miss any of them. And then as a reminder, we're still running that um, giveaway for a free t-shirt if you write a review on whatever app you're listening on. There's still not that many entries so far. So you've got a pretty good chance if you leave a review that you're going to get a free t-shirt. So go ahead, leave a review, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and just remember to, even if you have a hard hunt, try and find something good in it. Make sure that you are keeping a positive attitude. Um, look for look on the bright side because, you know, as soon as I get home from a hard hunt, I'm still wanting to go back and experience it again, even though it was hard. It's like this weird psychological thing. I don't know what it is, but I've heard other people talk about it too. When even though it sucks while you're in it later on, like almost instantly, like within a couple days, I'm like, man, I want to go back. I just like it. I feel like I got owned by the mountains. I don't want to go reverse that and conquer. So anyway, find some good positive things in your hard hunts. Take it for what it's worth and get out there and hunt the West.